horror. It's scary, unsettling, gruesome. Some would say it's purely and simply evil. I'm Bill Oberst, Jr., and for the last 20 years, I've made my living playing monsters and maniacs in horror movies. Movies with titles like Circus of the Dead, Three from Hell, Death House. I'm also a person of faith, and my profession has at times put me at odds with my fellow Christians who may see horror as an inherently wicked film genre. Well, we're here to explore that view. You're listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here, but he said he had to attend church service at midnight, which is a little weird, but you know, you know, we record really late Eastern Standard Time, if I'm honest, sometimes a bit too late for my liking. But so, you know, him attending a midnight church service, it just kind of works, but you know, that, that is commitment. Uh, hopefully he'll be back. Hopefully we'll keep our fingers crossed for that one. In the meantime, allow me to welcome you listeners back into the getting close to the end of this first series of the year. If you can believe that, that of 2021 more time running down five films from your top 10 horror of 2021. But if you're doing math at home, you might realize we've already hit those five. So we've got a very special treat for you today. On top of that, on top of the film we're covering today, and for patrons only right now, we're also hanging in the crockpot with a TV guide post featuring Mike Flanagan's Netflix series, Midnight Mass. Last week, if you joined us, we were so brave with Fog Staffer Asia as we spent one last night in Soho. And this week we are going to be joined by a few fog and legends for a trip to the Valley of the Shadow. But before we get there, let me remind you, lest you've forgotten that here at the Fear of God, we explore. We don't explain, except for right now when I explain that you can find every fog and fear of God thing imaginable at the fear of God podcast.com. How to support us on Patreon, for instance, essays, team bios, episode archives, merge read. You're back. <laughs> I'm You're here. Back. I can't believe it, but I, I am. I mean, yeah, uh, you made it. I did. I did. It was it a long, life. it was a long, dark and stormy night, but, hmm. but we made so, it. 
Breed, we got a very special one today. I know. I'm I'm as nervous as I am excited. Well, we got we got two two count them two things to get to real quick. One is a bit of business. Bit oh, of business, Riri. Bit of business. So the okay. bit of business bureau. We're about we're about to be discussing episode six of Mike Flanagan's Netflix series Midnight Mass for the Indeed. patrons. So. Indeed. Uh, watch Midnight Mass. Next week, we will be discussing episode seven and the series as a whole, completely unlocked for your listening pleasure. Yes. Uh, so check out Midnight Mass. I also want to commend to you to check out um, next week. We have no two weeks from now will be another ladies night. Oh, I'm so uh, excited. That's right. Um, Jess and Vera and Asia will be treating us to a conversation about John Krasinski's A Quiet Place 2, which mm. uh, had a, pretty, a, a number of showings on Ye Old Foggies 2022. Is it the year you're doing it or the year it's from? You know, 2022. Foggy 2022. <laughs> yes. About 2021 films. Mm-hmm. So the announcement, the business time is ladies night. Check out Quiet Place Part 2. Uh, that will be in your feeds in two weeks. Speaking of foggies though, Reed, why don't you tell us yeah. the update? What's the status report so, on the foggies? Yeah. If you listened to our werewolves within episode, you heard all of the, uh, the nominees for the first annual foggy awards, the uh, nominees for picture director performances, writing, etc. Um, so now as of this broadcast, you can go to really anywhere that the fear of God exists. You can go to our socials. You can go to the website, and you will see the link to go and cast your vote for the first annual Foggy Awards. We are keeping the vote open for the next uh, two and a half weeks, so time is limited. But go cast your vote, and then we will provide more details as time goes on um, about exactly when you will hear the results of the first annual foggy awards i'm very excited but the important thing is cast your vote make your your voice heard visit anywhere that the fear of god exists and you should find the survey link there facebook website all of it so i'm gonna go on record and try to do a a late entry uh for the chapel scene from the episode we're discussing today i I feel like a dummy for forgetting that when we were submitting because it definitely qualifies um before we get to that real quick uh if you're just tuning in now um again we are tracking along with midnight mass the last five weeks have been uh one episode each of the show today we're talking about episode six in the patron only segment next week to do episode seven but stick around because right after this I wasn't joking. We have some legends in fog history here. Uh, Tyler Smith and Bill Obers Jr. We'll give them a bit more proper intro shortly. Uh, but for now, to Crockett Island. That was amazing. Indeed. Um, <laughs> All right. That's incredible. So we've got some stuff to get to here. Welcome back, listeners. Uh, uh, if you want to join us on Patreon, you can have early access to the Midnight Mass Episode 6 conversation we just had. Um, <laughs> we're about to go into a discussion of the documentary film Valley of the Shadow, which your co-host <laughs> Reed Lackey co-wrote mm-hmm. with friend of the show Tyler Smith and was narrated by a friend of the show Bill Obers Jr. So without further ado, let's get right in to that conversation. 
It is time for the Valley of the Shadow. And today we are featuring not just friends of the fog, but legends of the fog, which is different than legends of the fall. It's a whole other thing. But no, today we have legends of the fog. First off, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tyler Smith. Tyler, your name gets dropped literally every episode. Um, we are arguably birthed from your efforts. Not sure what you thought yeah. I was going to say there. You're kind of the man behind the curtain, as it were. Um, you are the architect of the More Than One Lesson and Battleship Pretension podcast, amongst other projects. And this is your, correct me if I'm wrong, I was about to say it with total confidence, and I still will, first time on the show. That is right. correct. Yes. Yes. That's what I thought. I, I listen, I forget a lot of things, but now, um, incidentally, quick observation. Yes. You referred to me as the man behind the curtain, which is a Wizard of Oz reference. It is. In the context of that movie, uh-huh. it's all about how someone is really not impressive at well, all in actuality. Fraudulent, you know. Yeah. And just a yeah. big old fraud. I mean, I think putting himself <laughs> out there as something he absolutely is not. Is that you what know, you're saying? I think I think you might be overreading a little bit uh, mm-hmm. of just taking a common, you know, phrasing from culture okay. that I had tried to employ there. Um, sure. But no, I was trying to laud you. No, uh, I know. And and use our common tongue of film to do so. Speaking it's, of, it's kind of a mutant power I have is I can turn anything into an insult. So, oh, uh, well, that's unfortunate. Know, will I use it for good or evil? I guess Who's unless it's say? deployed against, you know, someone <laughs> uh, deserving, um, you know, speaking of someone deserving, ladies and gentlemen, Bill Oberst Jr. Bill, professional actor extraordinaire. Your just lovely intoning was first heard on our episode uh, dealing with Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. Um, and I have here that you rejoined us on the changeling, but is there one I'm, I'm, I'm not remembering, right? Cause y'all had yeah, a conversation. Uh, no, it was, it was just yes. y'all's conversation, right? It was just, yeah. So yes. he's, he's been on the show. This is his fifth appearance on the show. Fifth. Um, he's yeah. Fifth time. So he, he I just narrated, show up and talk. He narrated the Raven for us. Right. You should check that out. Cause it's brilliant. Um, then also he and I had a conversation just about his mm-hmm. life and work and, and, and all things horror and holy. And then, um, the yes, he joined, he joined us for the changeling. And then he and I waxed poetic following our something wicked this way comes conversation about all things, Ray Bradbury for mm, an hour. Yes, um, the Bradbury so, one. Yes. Um, so well, Bill is why, great but, but hang on, Riri. why the oh, changeling? sticks out so much read you're you are occupying guest role right now don't i'm not gonna oh, see that's the right i need to okay. say yeah oh, yeah it's a okay. good point um uh bill why the changeling is so important to the lore of the fear of god and you you would never know this you bill unless reed had told you i know i haven't your presence on that show and something you did on that episode tweaked how reed and i operate in our conversations these days <laughs> And if you go back and listen to the changeling, which is a really good conversation and an all right movie, um, I said it, Um, but you ask a question and you can can hear it when you ask it that Reed and I are both like, wow, that was a really insightful (laughs) question. Bill just asked, and we are totally unprepared to answer it. But what it did in the moment was refashioned what we 
have begun doing on the show, which is being much more intentional and much more inquisitive of each other. So you actually are the one to thank. It, it charted a new path for us in how we interact with each other. So thank you for that. And thank you for being with us tonight, Bill. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, absolutely. And then so up, until, up until Bill showed up for the changeling, what you're saying is your, your, your uh, process of podcasting was no preparation and very little consideration towards the concept of quality. Bill shows up, Ooh, asks a yeesh, single question. Strong and think, you know what? Let's try and do a good podcast. Mm. This is the role I've decided to take today. I'm just going to make fun of you guys. I'm so sorry. I don't know why I'm opting to do this, but here we are. Yeah. yeah pre, pre-Bill, Ben Papudu. After Bill, we're, we're, in, we're in good standing. We were, no, we think, were just uh, that, that, that meme of Boba Fett in his, in his prison jumpsuit on the speeder bike, just smiling yes. and bouncing up and down. That was how we operated the show, really. And then, uh, it's okay. It's okay. Um, but Tyler, your, your presence is already just met with wonder. Uh, the goal is to, have, <laughs> is to only be here one episode and have you guys be like, yeah, you got to get them all never, out. He is never coming back. <laughs> it's like, welcome to a special fear of God edition of Undercover Boss, apparently. I was going to oh, ask nice. you questions about your movie, but now I just don't care. <laughs> you know what? I'm fine with that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, no, stop, stop. We are here to enjoy each other's company. Um, but no, pre pre Bill's appearance on The Changeling, it was, you know, haphazard slapdash, um, but still fun. Uh, and now it's just with a little more thought to, you know, asking questions. Um, speaking of asking questions, <laughs> you gentlemen have a new movie out. And um, but before we talk about that movie, I am interested in because something that we do on the show with routine and has does precede uh, Bill's magic on the changeling is called Whatcha. And I am curious to hear from each of you, read yourself included. Um, oh, wow. What is something you have? What's what's a recent movie, book, album, piece of art? What is just something you have enjoyed recently that you would recommend to us um tyler i'm gonna start with you sir all right well i will go ahead and recommend this movie because i've been recommending it for months uh although people have only had the opportunity to see it uh recently and that is joe wright's cyrano um Mm. a film Mm. that i saw at a critic screening back in november and it became my favorite movie of 2021 and it still is uh, wow. And then it just, I, I was not expecting, first off, I did not know going in that it was a musical. Uh, and then someone started singing and I thought like, Oh, I need to change my expectations immediately. Um, <laughs> and it, and it, it surpassed any expectation I might've had. Uh, Joe Wright can be kind of hit and miss with me but when he hits. It's pretty amazing. And I absolutely adore the movie. If, if you're familiar with the story of Cyrano de Bergerac, it's, it's pretty straightforward in that regard, but, it has kind of a modern sensibility. Certainly the music, uh, which is by the, the guys behind uh, the national um, is really is, mm. is in my opinion, strong. It all depends on how much you like them, um, I think. But uh, yeah. And so the, the studio just did not know how to deal with this movie. Like they, wow. they, it was supposed to come out in December. Then they pushed it back. Cause I think they wanted to make room for some of their other Oscar contender movies. 
And so they pushed it to January and then mid-February and then late February. And by the time it came out, I don't think anybody cared. So it has done like a bit. It opened uh, the 25th. It opened February 25th, my birthday. Uh, Thank you. Uh, It did abysmally, I don't know, uh, at the Mm -hmm. box office. And and it really is a shame because I think most people, if they saw it, would like it. And it's also just a very refreshing film because it is unabashedly, unselfconsciously, uncynically romantic um, mm. and and emotional. And it really I was surprised by how much I, I liked it. And it does feature, in my opinion, a career best performance by Peter Dinklage as Cyrano. Mm. Uh, and uh, I highly recommend it. I tell everyone I can that I can to see it. And by the and if you're hearing this, go and see it in the theater because it's not going to be in the theater long. So go and do it right now. Get to the theater. No, I've heard nothing but good things about Cyrano. So I, yeah. I appreciate that that affirmation there. I don't know if I knew it was a musical. So that that is well, and certainly the the TV the 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 theatrical ads kind of say what it is. But uh, I saw some TV ads. There's not a there's not a note to be sung, and it really plays up uh, the swordplay element of Cyrano. Mm. And I thought, like anybody who goes to see this movie based on this TV ad, is going to be angry. Now, hopefully, mm-hmm. they'll give themselves over to it and just let themselves enjoy sure. it. But it's just like I can't. Ima- I it always astonishes me when a when a studio tries to do that uh, when they try and sell it as something it isn't. It's like you know, you're just setting people up for disappointment. Right. It's not like it's an impossible movie to market, but, uh, but yeah, so it's understandable why you might not know it was a musical. Cause it would, it's, it would seem that the studio is kind of embarrassed by that fact. Wow. Well, good. No, I, I appreciate that recommendation, Bill. What's, what's been, uh, what's been occupying, occupying your imagination these days? Well, I'm learning the Roman rite of exorcism in Latin, which I would recommend to anyone because it's painfully slow and any little progress you make feels amazing. Uh, and then wow. two books, um, The Master and His Emissary, which is about the left brain, right brain, not only in the hemispheres of our world, but how they're two diametrically opposed ways of viewing the world and how society has become skewed by only emphasizing the views of one hemisphere when both are necessary. And then lastly, um, Carl Sagan's last book, which is called Billions and Billions. I got it at Thrift Books. I'd never read it. And um, mm. it's, it's blown me away because he was dying as he wrote it. And his last chapter is three months before he died. And it's the most personal he ever wrote about um, his thoughts on life and death. And he's absolutely haunted by the possibility of an afterlife. Mm. Um, and it, mm. the last chapter made me cry. It's unforgettable. Oh, my. Wow. That's a, wow. That's a heck of a lineup, Bill. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, Reed, sure. What's what's uh, what's been on your mind? And so, so follow. Mass? Yeah, so so I mean, following suit. Uh, you know, Tyler mentions this lovely film, Cyrano. Uh, very romantic, very uh, inspirational in many ways. Uh, Bill with some very very uh, thought provoking books that I can't wait to check out. So I'm going to keep the high caliber going, and uh, I'm going to talk about. Netflix has recently released a uh, ninth film in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise, uh, All right. which I just, yeah. <laughs> which I just watched. Um, there's not a whole lot to say about this one. Uh, it is, I, I, I will lead with what my, why short line was. If you are the kind of individual 
who's probably inclined to watch a ninth Texas Chainsaw Massacre film, you will probably enjoy this, this Which, film. As I understand uh, it, is actually a, a second Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? Yeah, well, they did as the same in, thing. As that, in the narrative. As, exactly, yeah. They did the same thing. They, they took their cue from, like, David Gordon Green's Halloween from 2018 and stuff, and then basically, like, we're going to pretend all the previous sequels didn't happen, and we're just going to pick up multiple years later they do bring the original uh survivor of the first film back it's it's not the same actor because that actor passed away yeah. um but they brought back the uh the character to encounter leatherface yet again best thing i can say for it it's like 80 minutes long and that's with 10 minutes of credits it's like a 70 minute movie i mean it really is just a burst on there it is fast so it may not respect your intelligence but it respects your time it does hey, respect your time. I mean, That's, that is quite true. Sometimes that'll, that'll get you far. <laughs> that might be enough sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, I will say that, like, they toy with things that are clearly beyond their depth and just don't even try. I mean, that run the gamut, including, like, uh, school shootings and cancel culture and gentrification. And they, they, they tackle all of these things. But when I say they tackle them, they literally blaze through them with a chainsaw because there will be a character <laughs> who has like some, some version of that. And then it, there's just blood and gore and viscera. This is one of the most graphic and gory of any of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so again, if you're inclined to that sort of thing, I did find it in that very bizarre way that can be kind of cathartic. It's kind of fun. Uh, so if that's what you're in the mood for and, and you have the hour and 10 minutes to kill and you really need that, like, look, there's times I'm, people on this show know that I can get this way sometimes. There are times where the stress is high, the anxiety is peaked, and I just want to watch just some, some carnage. I just want to enjoy some carnage. This is 70 minutes of carnage. Uh, so, so there you go. There's really no other reason to recommend like, let it, there be carnage for that. Yes. That's I'm kind true. of, I'm kind of bummed actually to hear that it is so gory given how not mm -hmm. gory the first film is. Yep, and I know exactly. that certainly as the series went on, it really started to try and live up to the title, <laughs> the um, title. Yeah. But it yeah. does, it almost feels like, well, if you're going to, if you're going to try and continue the story it, uh, of the first one, it seems a shame that you wouldn't continue the style as well. Right. No, they definitely uh, do not have Toby Hooper's restraint. Uh, it, I mean, I kid you not. There's one scene where basically just a, an entire body count of nameless individuals are trapped in a singular place. And then Leatherface enters that location. I mean, I kid you not. I just like they might as well have just like had blood dripping down the lens of the thing. It was just everywhere. It was it was saturated. And it, was, it, it made me feel sticky watching it where I was just like, this, this is just absurd. So, so uh, Tyler and Bill, you will, unless you've listened specifically to our Texas Chainsaw episode, the original one, which we recorded at this point over four years ago, probably in the first, I don't know, six to eight months or so of the fear mm -hmm. of God. Mm -hmm. So that movie is that my watching of the movie, which that was the first time for the fear of God. I'd never seen it before. Uh, it predates my capacity to Bluetooth, which I do with routine with horror stuff these days to the Apple TV to, to, you know, uh, not have children hear just terrible sounds from these horror movies we watch. And my wife was out of town. My kids were asleep in the back of the house. And that movie is so gonzo. There was a part, it was around the table, right? The, the, the kind of infamous, you know, dinner table scene. 
I had the volume so low, I could barely, I turned on subtitles because I didn't <laughs> want the just insanity to wake my kids or them to wonder what's going on. In parentheses, just screaming yes. at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just basically, constantly. basically. Just, the subtitle never goes away for about 30 <laughs> <Yeah>. minutes. <laughs> and then the occasional. Yeah. No, that's, that's it. That's it. So um, nice. Well, no, that's all wonderful. Uh, Reed, I'll, I'll finish us off here with, we did uh, just watch uh, uh, recently much, much awarded um, at Screen Actors Guild, at least Coda. We watched that recently mm. with the children, my, or at least the older two kids we have. My sister had been harping on me for months to watch this. Uh, a friend of the show and Fog staff, Rivera Gowdy, had, had put it on the radar quite some time ago, uh, but finally just recently watched it. And if, if anyone hasn't seen it, it is fantastic. Uh, it's it's truly fantastic. I will, however, <laughs> let you know that if you decide to watch it with your kids, um, in my case, of whom are 13 and 11, which, you know, is it, they're fine generally with PG 13 stuff. However, uh, when these performers uh, who are actually deaf are signing, there's a, a scene that happens where a young person walks in on the parents, uh, um, you know, enjoying each other's company as it were. And then there's the debrief scene, right? It's the talk, the parents talking to the kid after the fact, well, because this is, there's so much sign language in the film, the father who is played by Troy Kotzer, who just won, best actor at screen actors Guild, which is pretty amazing so he is signing what turns into a pretty explicit <laughs> thing it's, it's that, inventive oh yeah you've seen it yes <laughs> oh What'd yes you say? it's inventive yes, yes uh, inventive to mm-hmm. the point that my wife out loud while we're watching said nathan you know and it's like i, I don't know i'm sorry and so like, you try okay. to fast forward but like it's kind of too late you know at that point so <laughs> so yeah just know if you watch it with your kids, there's some pretty, uh, as Vera called it, salty signing uh, at a certain sure. point, and you will know it is upon you. Trust me, you will know. Um, well, thank you all for sharing that. We we enjoy the little watches of the show, but wanting to pivot a little bit and respect everybody's time, like all Texas Chainsaw here, uh, and jump <laughs> into this new documentary, Valley of the Shadow, the spiritual value of horror, which I... Uh, recently watched and and tyler you and i i think this was said off the show but have been in contact at least uh by proxy for quite some time and so i knew this was in genesis uh reed had alluded to his involvement with it but but i am genuinely curious this is not me just because you're our guest in the moment or even our listeners will know i i enjoy hearing about the development process of stuff like this um and so if you can if you don't mind just kind of talk us through a little bit um, you know, what inspired the project, um, kind of what was the mission of the piece, um, you know, maybe, maybe dovetail into there a little bit, how Reed and Bill got involved. So just kind of wherever you want to start, but, but, you know, talk us through the genesis of the work itself. So I feel like it probably, cause yeah, I, I don't want to go into, into too much detail just because it could take a while, but, um, uh, probably it would need to start with my first documentary, Real Redemption, the, sp- the uh, Rise of Christian mm. Cinema, which I made for a, uh, a, a streaming service called Faith Life TV. And it's on a micro, micro budget. And it's, you know, it's basically the Tyler Smith show. I wrote it. I edited it. I narrated I did the whole deal. The one thing I didn't do is the music. My uh, my friend AMC Hernandez did the music for that. And I loved his, his, his music for it. Um, and it it did pretty well. It got some really good reviews. And the point of it essentially was 
twofold. One was to incorporate some level of academic study into uh, to uh, discussing faith-based films, because by and large, uh, they are not approached academically by Christians or non-Christians. And just because I mostly hate them doesn't mean that they are not works of art that should be approached that way. You can say they're effective or not. I don't think they are, but that doesn't mean they should be dismissed. You know, I mean... Going to horror, I mean, even the most exploitative horror movie is still viewed as a work of art and and discussed as such by academics. And so I, I wanted it to be that. I wanted it to have an ec- academic quality to it. And in doing so, my hope was that if other, if like non-Christian uh, critics saw it, they might be inspired to approach faith-based film in a slightly different way, not to suggest uh, making themselves enjoy it, but just to at least give it a second thought, even if like myself, I've given it three or four thoughts and I mostly don't like it, but at least trying to look at it that way. And then the other, the other side was to uh, maybe convince those who actually, you know, those who are fans of faith-based film um, sort of inspire them to look at film in general as an art form differently. And because there's a lot of film history in that, in that documentary, the first half of it really explores the history of the the church's relationship with Hollywood. Um, my hope was that, you know, Christians would get some sense of the history of filmmaking and they might feel inspired to go back and watch some movies like man for all seasons or the seventh seal or the passion of Joan of Arc or, or something like that. So that was the goal. And I don't honestly know if, if it achieved either of those, but it was it was well received and it and it played at a few festivals and and I was actually quite proud of it for it being my first my first sure. uh, attempt and and it being a micro micro budget and I really had no intention of doing another one, but thinking in terms of like who I am as a critic and as an academic, my mind started drifting towards like, what is a conversation that I often have with fellow Christians uh, when talking about movies? And it's something that certainly I know that Reed and Bill uh, have also had, which is, you know, it's hard and it can be hard enough to get certain types of Christians to take film seriously as an art form at all. Right. Once, but then like looking at individual genres, um, specifically in this case, the horror genre, that's one that is not merely viewed with indifference. It's Mm -hmm. viewed with suspicion at best and complete uh, contempt, uh, spiritual contempt. Yeah. Antagonism at, at worst. And you know what? I get it. Like there are a lot of, uh, of, horror movies that are purely exploitative. I, I totally get that. But at the same time, to dismiss the entire genre as having no merit at all, artistic or spiritual, uh, feels wrong to me. And it's something that certainly I did when I was like a teenager. Uh, and it's mostly because you're hearing about the ones you're hearing about tend to be the more superficial ones. Meanwhile, you get older and you become more of a film person. You go back and you watch the German films of the 1920s. You watch uh, the universal films. You watch hammer horror. You watch these various things to say nothing of international horror films. And before you know it, you're like, oh, not only are these movies sometimes visually beautiful, sometimes, and and certainly they have a, there's a, a visceral and emotional reaction to them, but like some of them might actually be asking some really, really interesting questions that I think Christians 
are also asking and would never think to turn to maybe a work of art in general, but especially a horror right. film to, to pursue the answer to those questions. And being a, a, a film person, one thing that I've always liked about horror movies is that the, the stylistic heightening of the <laughs> genre allows people to really delve into certain topics in a more overt way than they would in, in a drama. Like if you put certain aspects, like if you explore certain aspects of racism or whatever it is in a drama, you got to do it just right. Otherwise people are going to say you're preachy. Meanwhile, right. if you do, if you, you know, jump on night of the living dead or more recently, something like get out the extreme imagery of zombies suddenly makes even the most histrionic exploration of racism uh, seem subtle by comparison. And so horror allows you to actually do quite a bit thematically. And that's something that I find very, very interesting about it. And something that I was, that I have always tried to convey to fellow Christians that like, th there's a lot more to horror. If you, if you know the ones to look for, and they might not always be the ones you think, uh, then you'd be shocked what honestly, in my, in my view, what God can, can communicate to you through them. And so that's something I've always felt passionately about. Uh, and so I thought like, I wonder if I could do another film. I took it to faith life. They were a little iffy about it. And they said that they weren't sure if their, if their viewers would go for it. Certainly not at the budget I was asking for. It was still, it was still a complete micro budget, but um, but it was definitely more than my other one because something I had determined is like, I don't want this to be the Tyler Smith show partially because I know plenty of other people who feel passionately about this and they, sure. and I have blind spots that <clears throat> I would like to fill in. And so, um, I, I will say, it's just like, uh, I don't like to say it's a God thing, mostly because it just, that term has a, uh, you know, has kind of an unfortunate shorthand to it, but, uh, I had made a proof of concept trailer and I just thought, like, why should I even be pursuing this film at all? Like, I don't think anyone's going to be interested. And I'm I'm part of a Christian filmmaker group. So I put the proof of concept trailer out there just to get the sense of, like, does any as a viewer, would anybody be interested in this? Right. Right. And there was a guy uh, named Wally De La Fuente who I didn't know at the time owns and operates a streaming service called Rediscover Television. And he said, uh, this looks really interesting to me. What's your budget? And I thought like, that's very cute. And so I, <laughs> I messaged him and I told him my budget and then he offered me more. And, uh, awesome. and so I said like, oh, that's great because that means I actually, I can reach out to people like Bill to narrate it or read to help write it. And I can make sure that they're getting at least some money, at least enough to make mm -hmm. it vaguely worth their while. Um, right. And uh, yeah, it really, it, it really all came together very abruptly and very, uh, in my life, God tends to drop stuff in my lap. That's kind of the only way I notice it. <laughs> Otherwise I'm just too cynical, uh, to, to, uh, accept things. And, uh, God definitely dropped this in my lap and, uh, yeah. And everything, everything went pretty, pretty smoothly after that. That's awesome. I, I love your articulation of, and it's funny read your reference to Texas Chainsaw. I was recently listening to, uh, the watch and they were featuring the new Texas chainsaw, but as part of their second half of episode were, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but they had this, you know, kind of particular critic guy on and they were basically mining the nooks and crannies of, of the dank dusty history of, of film. And, and Tyler, to your point, what was really interesting 
is they more or less were stating something similar to what you just articulated, which is while exploitative, what have you exists in these alleyways and and dank corners of film history, they don't exist in a vacuum. You know, what you are sort of identifying about Christian cinema, it's like, these things exist in relationship to a, an art form and, and uh, a, a created piece of, you know, um, art as it were that, that utilizes in this case, film craft technique and, and, you know, uh, actual equipment and these sorts of things. And, and, and so I do appreciate your attempt to appreciate, uh, or at least acknowledging we, we ought to consider appreciating these nooks and crannies because they do exist in relationship to other things. Um, I love, I, I really want to, to uh, kind of pat you on the back here because I love even as poetic and, and sort of makes sense to those who hear it, the Valley of the shadow title is, or Valley of the shadow. No, the, uh, I just, I love the subtitle, the spiritual value of horror. I feel like if there's anything Reed and I've tried to do over five years, it's, it's do that. And it was really interesting recently because I, I have, I have, you know, uh, my wife is closest to the, the, nucleus as it were of of this thing we've created here but but people in our orbit who will hear and people who are uh, um contacts from previous sort of church or or you know kind of religious life who hear things about like oh nathan's big into horror and they're like oh no horror and it's like well if you really kind of gave this a shot there is some of this that that is actually going to speak very powerfully to you and it was really fascinating um you know, to our listeners and to Tyler and Bill, if you haven't listened yet, uh, back in January, we featured Christian ethicist David Gushy on, who, who really isn't a media personality. It was just a conversation that tied off some thematic threads Reed and I had been in, engaging. But it was so cool because in the middle of the conversation, which was architected around this notion of what scares and what saves, that's that's a, a drumbeat on the show here. And, and you could see the gears kind of click into place. He was like, so it seems as though what y'all do on the show is, is look squarely at the things that scare you. And in so doing find the things that save you. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what we're after here. <laughs> so it's, it's very cool to, to kind of, I appreciate Tyler, your angle from this academic standpoint of let's, let's look at these soberly and, and just as things that exist in the world. Um, you know, Bill, I want to kind of pivot to you a little bit. Like what was the experience of the narration part? I I have to imagine knowing even what limited interaction you and I have had personally in, in the previous years, I've got to imagine being able to give voice to some of these things as kind of just a culmination of your own, you know, kind of philosophy on art and faith and horror. You know, can you speak a little bit to that? Did you have to give Tyler a bunch of notes? Like, no, this is not, or Tyler and Reed, as it were, I'm not, I'm not going to let Reed off the hook here. What was it like sort of voicing some of this stuff? Um, terrifying because the sentences are really long. (laughs) And I was so afraid that I was not going to be able to, I had to practice each sentence because it's academically written, you know? Sure. Because it's meant to get across a an actual point rather than usual narration and so i had to practice each sentence and put in breath points and it was very different for me and i was, I was afraid i was going to emphasize the wrong word and 
then I thought it was all going to be narration. And then they said, you're going to do on camera stuff. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to ruin your movie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still not convinced that I didn't, but the material is strong enough to carry it. But yes, it was a culmination for me of my strong conviction. Since I was a boy, I was in love with Jesus and horror at the same time Mm -hmm. that, um, horror has things to teach us and the bible's full of horror i mean there's abraham separating the sacrifices and what does it say a horror of great darkness fell upon him Mm. that's terrifying i mean what kind of horror of great darkness what happened that's that's horrible that's horrifying there's the bible is full of these full of things jesus exorcisms and there's loads of moral light and darkness and just plain stark fear uh, in the Bible. And I always found that to mesh up with the horror movies that I was growing up with and looking at. So it was a beautiful thing for me to be able to do this because Tyler and Reed, I know, love the Lord and they love horror um, both genuinely, and so there was an integrity there, and I respect them both so much. It was it was an honor to try not to ruin the movie. <laughs> I, I love remember that. No. Yeah, go during ahead, go during the the process, uh, I was on the phone with with Bill, and he had, he had expressed not in a complaining kind of way, but more as as a as a concern. He was talking about like the the length of these sentences and all that, and I was like, oh yeah because I narrated my first one. And as I was doing it, I was, I was like, why do I write like this? This is so stupid. Like, I'm, I know I have to say this. Why am, why don't I make this easier for myself? And what Bill and what I told Bill was like, it's, it was even worse before Reed got it. Cause like I wrote it with my stupid uh, master's degree sensibility. uh, And then Reed uh, tackled it and made, and like, softened it up a little bit it was even worse bill before (laughs) reed got a hold of it but you know what guys like i'm glad that you didn't dumb it down any further because i don't know if any of you are disney guys if you like disney i'm a huge epcot fan and like i've ridden all the all the spaceships i didn't know what the right answer to that was i was gonna hold my (laughs) (laughs) the original script for spaceship earth was done by bradbury and walter cronkite did it and Mm -hmm. it's been dumbed down over and over and over again Um, and now it's Judy Dench, and it's like she's talking to five-year-olds. Hmm. So what you guys did, I guess, like, I would say Tyler was the Bradbury Walter Cronkite version, and then what Reed turned it into was the Jeremy Irons version. Oh, oh, oh I like that. I'll <laughs> but, take but that. But you did not go the step further and go to the Judy Dench. Enjoy your ABCs? <laughs> well, if you like your ABCs, then thank the Phoenicians. <laughs> yeah, you thank didn't do the that. It has oh, thank, thank you. you very much. Yes, I love thanks, that. Bill. Hashtag thank the Venetians. Uh, and <laughs> I gotta throw you some props here, Bill. Don't don't short sell yourself here, buddy. The moment you were on screen, I was like, that's a good looking coat. I like that coat. <laughs> yes. I'm a big outerwear fan, and uh, you know, I was like, how can I Google that? Where can I find that? <laughs> so do not sell yourself short. It works. Um, you know, that we keep talking about the sort of academic aspects of it. And this, I was chatting with Reed yesterday and, and kind of debriefing a little bit or pre-briefing as it were, as we like to say, and something I really love about the film 
in this kind of analogy, hopefully it works, is because watching it, um, Tyler, I think your kids are a little younger. I know Reed's kids age. Mine, like I said, 13, 11, they've, they've gotten into things like Stranger Things, things like A Quiet Place, the, the kind of the safe horror type stuff. Mm. you know safe being a relative word but stuff they can kind of handle um although i do remember the very first time i showed them the stranger things trailer and the 11 year old was like i'm good (laughs) (laughs) um but they now kind of love that stuff and and so as someone who is a fan of this who does kind of appreciate uh the 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 capacity to engage it responsibly and and uh with a with a perhaps some wisdom I, I often am like okay what are they ready for what can they handle how do you just throw them in the deep end and something i appreciated about the movie is about uh, valley of the shadow that is is watching and i was like this would be a good primer for you know trying to show someone and the, and the analogy that came to me was just like it's so hard to say, okay, I'm going to queue up this movie. The sixth sense enters my brain a lot. Like, are they ready for that? That movie is pretty scary if you're not kind of ready for it. Although mm-hmm. it's got such lovely things that it's about. Um, but it's the, the, the mental image is like, you're just pushing someone into a dark room and closing the door behind them. <laughs> you know, terrifying for anybody. But what I love about the structure of Valley of the Shadow and its intentional uh, it's intentionality in this regard is it's, it's almost like it's saying, here's the blueprint for the haunted house, right? Mm-hmm. Like here's this structure. Um, here's the wings um, over there is in the, the movie's language is the inevitables. The over here's the unknowable over here's the unstoppable over here's the abominable. These are these overarching ideas. And inside each of those wings are a bunch of rooms, you know, and it just really takes in a good way, the teeth out of even even the perceived risk of entering a room at all. And Mm. I hope that analogy kind of clicks, but it just, I don't know. It it really, it inspired me to ponder like, okay, maybe I show them this. And and we kind of take some notes on, you know, films that pique their interest that get referenced in it. Um, Reed, I want to ask you directly. I mean, I feel like in the same spirit of bill here, this is a culminating agent for you of, um, you know, putting to words what we have philosophically been about for so long. Can you speak a little bit about your, you know, your experience of getting roped into the process and, and kind of, uh, I, I am interested to dovetail out of this question. There's a whole lot that gets referenced in the movie of other, of horror films. And I'm curious of the three of you, as you've, engaged valley of the shadow and it's seen the light of day as it were uh cite for us some discoveries you know Mm. i'm particularly interested for yourself tyler as the initial architect of this whole thing where there were there blind spots and that sort of thing but reed start us off with you know kind of how you got involved um what it was like sort of putting pen to paper uh, uh with tyler to to articulate some of this stuff Sure, sure. Well, um, it's really weird being quote unquote host and you <laughs> and asking and I'm, you in a non host fashion. So I'm, I'm kicking my feet up. I'm like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do all the work. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Um, well, I, I, I do want to say sincerely, like it was, it was a profound privilege. I used to daydream. I, I like before fear of God was a thing, there were, you know, parts of me that would daydream about getting to do a project like this, because like 
Tyler has alluded to many, many conversations about with, with Christian friends and, and family members trying, just trying to break the ice a little bit about some of this stuff. If for no other reason, I'll be honest about it, so that they wouldn't look at me like I was two inches from hell, you know, like if for no other reason to just say like, hey, no, there's, there's nothing wrong with me that I so responded to this because this is how I responded to it and what I'm responding to and, and the way that I'm engaging it. And, um, and so I, I did have a longstanding dream of doing something like this. So when Tyler, like, it's one of those things, and Tyler, you and I have not talked about this, but it's one of those things where like where he fir- when he first mentioned the project, it felt like somebody had handed me a, a, a like a, a precious little porcelain china thing. Like, hey, is is this a thing that could be in your world? And I was like, oh my god, don't break this! Oh my god, don't break this! <laughs> like, like, please, just don't, don't, don't mess this up. You know, Tyler and I have have known each other for a, a, a number of years, and you know, have a pretty, I, I would say, hopefully, he agrees, um, a, a pretty strong rapport of just understanding. Like, yes, things happen, and 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 there's ups and downs, and maybe this will maybe this will work, and maybe it won't, but let's let's venture into this together and i tell you like it was just such a profound privilege and i i was trying actively to kind of hold back a bit of my enthusiasm i, I say this in full sincerity just because i didn't want to break that porcelain gift that i had been that had been handed but like tyler and i would have some com- the very first conversation we had was like you know on into the night at a denny's uh, where a lot of the structure kind of was born from that just just he and i bouncing ideas off of each other well we could explore this we could explore that and then i think tyler correct me if i'm wrong but the way i remember it is that pretty much well by the time we were done with that conversation with some minor tweaks here and there the basic structure of the film was kind of born and we were like okay this is how we'll approach it yeah Uh, i i had thought about it first uh thinking in terms of subgenres like zombie mm -hmm. werewolf vampire that sort of thing uh and i think reed was the one who thought like well let's look at let's group the some of those subgenres together and Mm. find commonalities between those and you know rather than have this thing be thinking in terms of sections rather than have this thing be you know 15 to 20 sections what if we were to get that down to like five or six Mm-hmm. and so it's like okay well let's and so what we sort of started spitballing like okay yeah werewolf and vampire while we often think of them together they do actually speak to different aspects of the the, the human condition and so those yeah. would not be part of the same section so we so slowly started and it's like oh this you know zombies play up the the fear of decay into the inevitability of death you know so that sort of thing and then, uh, but I don't think we had come up with any definitive names for any of the uh, mm, sections mm-hmm. at that point. And so I had been working on that. And then I came up with these four uh, mm-hmm. and then getting into the redeemable at the end. But like, I came up with those four and in actuality, it's just the nature of, of, of the situation. Uh, there are some, you know, horror subgenres that could easily fit into maybe two or right. even three of those sections. And as eventually we essentially just needed to choose one and talk about it primarily from that mm-hmm. perspective. Um, but it's, you know, it's just kind of the way it goes like zombie movies there. It's very much about the unstoppability of zombies, but it's also <laughs> about the inevitability of death. So, you know, where possible, I tried to use some of those as like a, as a transition from one right. to the other, but yeah, that the, the, the basic, 
the idea of, of finding commonality among subgenres that was more that was definitely reed's take on it i was very i was very glad immediately i was like oh yes this was definitely the the better way to go about it yeah it was he's quite the, he's quite the listicle <laughs> oh, yes, really. i do i, I do love i do love a list um <laughs> so yeah it was and, and then from there uh honestly like it, it was very much a collaboration uh tyler would write pages i would revise said pages uh in a couple of sections i would write the initial pages and then tyler would make some revisions and then the sort of collaborative finished pages would be what we would send to bill to be able to sort of give it a once over and there was maybe a little bit of fine tuning shortly after that but it really was you know i i've been asked because his people this is potentially going to sound reductive. I, I, I desperately don't intend it to. Um, people who have not worked collaboratively trying to write something can sometimes find it difficult to understand like how that collaboration works. And it's different for everybody. It's different. Yeah. You know, like my collaboration with a, you know, I, I have collaborated with a couple of different people on different projects and it's always just a little different. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's like you hand over complete drafts to each other in this particular case, it was kind of just we were moving together through things like, you know, Tyler would craft some pages and then I would once over them, I would maybe say, oh, in this section, we need to talk about this film because this film fits perfectly for here. And, you know, then a couple of times he would say, well, I really want to emphasize this aspect in in this section right here. And and that was just kind of how it worked. We kind of marched through it together until we uh, got to to the end to where we felt like, OK, this is in a good place. We can send it over to uh to build to do the recording and 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 that was a really exciting thing because i was gleaming from what tyler was picking up on in certain aspects like there were i'll mention for myself you asked about discoveries um you know it was fascinating to me some of the ways you know when 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 tyler had positioned some stuff about the mental illness component of the inevitable section you know a lot of that was really fascinating to me and and something that I found really interesting. And, and, uh, and so that was something that I really appreciated uh, about that. I don't know that I would have had the, the insight to truly be able to, to bring to that. And hopefully I, I won't cite anything here for myself, but hopefully there were some things that I brought to it that, that wouldn't have existed without, you know, me, me participating in it. That, that kind of collaboration is really exciting is my point um, because you make some mutual discoveries along the ways. And I do, yes, I definitely, there are some things that, uh, one of the reasons I immediately knew I had to do this with Reed was because he just has much more knowledge of these movies than, than I do. And so, uh, there are films, it's like, they're going to be entire sections devoted to a certain movie that I have not seen. And Hmm. sure. And sure enough, that happened with silver bullet, um, Hmm. that happened with saw, and uh, Pumpkinhead, I believe it. Have mm-hmm. I seen? I think I had seen Pumpkinhead, but it had been so long mm-hmm. uh, that I don't think it was really in the forefront of my brain. Um, and so, like, and meanwhile, these are, are movies that are u- uniquely singled out in the film. Mm, uh, right. And then, and then it's also stuff like uh, pretty much everything, every section except the unknowable. I wrote it gave it to read and then he contributed and the unknowable like he speaks more eloquently about the specifically supernatural horror type of horror than i do and so mm. i just said like you can have this one 
<laughs> and, and we'll, we'll just reverse the order. You do it mm-hmm. first and then I'll contribute to it and, and make some changes and, and cuts and that sort of thing. Um, and, and also I just, you know, I, I, I know how Reed thinks and I know how he writes and I know it's like, it's not going to really be in too much conflict with yeah. my, my writing style. And then of course, Bill, who I think contributed a great deal as far as, you know, this is, it is written fairly academically and yet it doesn't, when I hear it, it doesn't sound academic. It doesn't sound, not to suggest it sounds dumbed down, but it's one of the reasons why I'm glad that we got an actor uh, <laughs> who, who can actually play up the emotionality of certain sections. And I think that Bill absolutely does that, that like the, the inevitable section is one of the more emotional sections and one that is going to deal with stuff that people might actually that might really resonate with people because now we're talking about death we're talking about illness we're talking about these things and i could hear in his voice like it go it turns into something much more mournful as opposed to something like fearful or forceful and and i was like this that's great because if anybody's going to make this material palatable and relatable it will be bill someone whose job it is to evoke emotion as Mm. opposed to like my first documentary where i did what i could but it still sounds like just a hundred percent academic and (laughs) i didn't i did not want that to be the case with this so i think bill definitely uh contributed quite a bit in my opinion agreed well it's funny i i remember there were a couple of times i wrote down actual lines and one of them is in that inevitable section that you're referencing tyler that and so kudos to the three of you for, for the culminating aspect here. But the, the line is regarding death and dying as a reason we fear it. We can't call someone up to tell us about the experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, there was something really in that moment, kind of profound of like this thing you've probably thought in your subconscious or on the periphery of your psyche for years and years and years, but having it articulated so directly is like dead gum. There's a lot of truth and, and profundity to that. And you know what? I'm actually very glad that we we did like uh, visual interstitials uh, as, as difficult as it was, of course, for Bill to <laughs> nail all of those in one take because uh, I saw the outtakes. And I'm like, oh, this poor guy. I feel so bad for what we put him through. But I'm our sentences, did, I'm glad we did it because there's one part in particular that has that is in the inevitable where Bill is talking about death and he says everyone will die. And he's looking right at the camera and says that includes you. And that includes me. And it's like, Mm. it's a very rare thing in my, uh, as far as I know, for like in a movie, like an on-screen narrator to talk about their own inevitable death, you know, like it's a weird thing. Mm. Like in that moment, Bill Oberst Jr. is talking about how he's going to die. It's a very, it feels very personal, even though it's something that we wrote. Um, And I think he, he sells that really wonderfully. Sorry, Bill, to to talk about you as though you're not here. I know you are. Well done, Bill, (laughs) is what I should be saying. Well done, Bill. (laughs) it's funny bill i feel like i empathize deeply with you i've had a few uh uh you know kind of talk to the camera gigs over the years specifically there was one one time where it was this like you know some factory and it was it was it was totally this industrial piece this this corporate safety operational company that that you know deals with safety on factory sites <laughs> And I just knew the people who were producing it and they're like, Hey, will you come, you know, give you a few bucks and come put you up in a hotel and <laughs> do these 
do these pieces. And I had no idea what I was saying. Uh, just none at all. And, and I was like, this is the job to make stuff. You don't know what you're saying. Sound like, you know what you're saying. So, uh, so yeah, I, I feel you. Um, I do. I am curious, were there in a, in a kind of didactic sense, uh, are there any specific films that were kind of new to you that you maybe discovered after the fact? And I'll, I haven't watched anything because uh, I just watched uh, Valley of the Shadow and so haven't been able to check any boxes yet. But I will say it wasn't so much a discovery as a reminder. Can we all agree that Cronenberg's fly is just nasty AF? I mean, that is just like in a not... good way, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> good way. <laughs> you know, again, fly. like if yes, it's 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 gross, but such is the nature of so of degenerative disease, you know? Sure. <laughs> yes. yes. It's so yes. gross though. It's, it's so nasty. Between that, my, y'all y'all nailed it. You you had you had just present, visible, active scenes from the fly, and then that one scene from Creep Show that is just the absolute oh, yeah. worst. That's terrible. I, I will say that and I, I forget I forget uh oh Nathan, you were the one talking about it. That like, you know, when you approach this stuff from an academic standpoint, it, it in the moment it can kind of undercut the real horror sure. of it and it yeah. just it, it creates a distancing effect um but as i was editing this so i'm deathly afraid of spiders okay. um as we all should be they're basically right. monsters yeah um but uh and i actually I, I i kind of wish in retrospect that i that i had incorporated this bill and i had talked about it uh, i think i did write it where uh there's a moment where <laughs> where bill is you know there's a section about spiders and and there is a moment where bill said uh incidentally the director of this film is terrified of spiders so we're going to move on so <laughs> we should we sh i should have kept that in but i opted not to but anyway as i was editing that part like i had nightmares i had spider nightmares as i was doing it because it's like well, you throw a lot of arachnophobia in there <laughs> yeah and and it's just and but also like whether it be you know, there's this is something that I said. It's like if you want an, indi an indicator of animals that we all feel are just evil, whatever animal they make giant, you know, pay mm. attention to that. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. see giant spiders a lot because now mm -hmm. we're in the position of being the fly. Giant snakes, we see those a lot. Um, and then like giant bunnies, they don't work. It don't. It's no. only been done once. Yeah. You know what I mean? Night of the leap was, and that's it. Yeah, we see it over and over again because people, whether they acknowledge it or not, people understand that spiders are inherently horrifying and monstrous. And uh, mm -hmm. thumbs down. I mean, I I kept wondering. Spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it. I kept wondering if you were going to drop some enemy footage in there. That final. Uh, I I thought about it. Yes. Um, yeah. But uh, I was prepping. I was like, I no, I had way more. I had way more movies. Uh, sure. at my disposal that I wound up incorporating and I, I wish that I had had more, but then I realized like, you know, there's, there's a pretty good cross section in the documentary. I think we're going to be fine. Absolutely. There is. I mean, <laughs> Reed, you just referenced it's called night of the lepus. Yes. I was like, of the what? Lepus. Yeah. what are these yeah. giant bunnies? That's not cool. <laughs> well, it's um, funny. Cause you I'll just, I'll just reference this in passing. Yeah. I, I mean, the, maybe I shouldn't even answer the question, but you said if there were there any discoveries. Yeah. No, I mean, answer the question for, for me. No, like, like, like that's one of the things where it's just like, <laughs> it's like encyclopedia I mean, Brown here. But, I mean, it, but no, it's like, that's one of the things that like what I, what I appreciated about it, um, particularly in either hearing bill deliver our words back to us or in what Tyler observed about a particular piece in his writing of it. Um, 
was was a new angle, a new thought about something in terms of like, I didn't stumble across any movies I had not seen in the process of it, but it was something that um, I appreciated hearing the new, like discovering new aspects about it. So really, you had yeah. seen Gorgo? Yes. <laughs> wow. You I wrote down Gorgo. Stuff. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I started writing like, stuff down. I never, down. Heard, of I one. One. I never <laughs> heard of that one. <laughs> <You know. laughs> That's awesome. Yes, right, of course. You don't, you don't have to front. You know, oh, I mean, we're all, we're all friends here. It's, it's Bill, true. It's were there any discoveries for you? Or are you going to pull a read here and just be like, nope, no more? I'm just playing. I'm just remembering how good Ida Lupino was in Night of the Lupus. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. <laughs> it, it was not a bad movie. Of course, I was really young, but you're right. The giant bunnies, they were mm -hmm. cute. <laughs> yeah. There's <laughs> like, oh, you know, there, yeah. was, there was that section in, in sci fi where they try, they, they just said, like, Okay, what if? Right. What right. if giant we made pets, giant right. bunnies? Could that be scary? And then at the end, they're like, "Okay, it can't." It can't. Noted. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, so discoveries for me were. Uh, it's going to sound ridiculous. I never considered this, but I don't like zombie movies. They're oh, boring yeah. to me. I've I've never liked the genre. I've always thought it was kind of one note, and I'm done. And but really, Reed and Nathan with their writing made me think about and have greater respect for um, the what zombies can stand for and the parts of society that they can illustrate. And mm. yeah, it made me turn back to to some of the zombie stuff and say, you know what, I, I missed it. Mm. Have you, in light of that discovery, uh, ventured into it, or, or did you stop yeah. there? It's okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went back to um, uh, Romero, particularly Romero's um, mm -hmm. remakes, you know, his updates after the first one. And mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Especially it, it was, Romero is more, much more thoughtful than, than much of what's out there in just the rinse and repeat of, oh, and unleash zombies. And here we go. No, like, I'm, no, yeah. I'm not going to watch that crap. Just like I'm not going to watch. <laughs> I'm not going to watch zombie movies that are like, you know, your satanic sister spits, whatever. That's just, just <laughs> that's bullshit and it's ridiculous. Yes, yes, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely but, right. But, you know, but yeah. yeah, there was there was a lot going on in um, in Romero's pieces that I didn't give him credit for. So thank you guys for opening my eyes. Mm, mm. No problem. <laughs> So I did I, see Reed. I was, I was, had my producer hat on my podcast producer hat on. I'm like, we should do a Romero series. Cause I've never seen, hey. I mean, I saw the original as for us, but I haven't yeah. seen anything else beyond that. Ah, yeah. Um, worth considering worth considering uh, Reed, do us a quick favor. So this was not in our notes, but it's been referenced. It's been pointed to a couple of times. Will you articulate real quick? Um, these four overarching, uh, inevitable and noble and stop on abominable, like what, how, Clearly, I just stated them, but what, how yeah, you defined yeah. those and, and how we package those for the film itself? Uh, yeah, sure. So unstoppable in brief is just the, the fear of something that you have no control over. It is coming for you. You are powerless against this force of whatever it is that is coming into your life, into your world, into your imagination. You are absolutely unable to all of your plans, your strategies, nothing will work. And there's many, many things. I won't do this for these sections just for time's sake, but there's many, many things that could fit into that category and that the horror genre explores in profound detail. Um, but that's the unstoppable. 
the inevitable are the things that we all kind of know but don't talk about that we know we will have to face at some point in our lives, either for ourselves or for someone that we care about. That would be uh, you know, the inevitability of death. But um, something I, I really appreciated that Tyler brought to it is the, ine- the inevitability of disease or illness, uh, whether that be physical ailment uh, due to a traumatic injury or just the deterioration of age or uh, perhaps mental illness, any number of things that are just simply inevitable. They, they are coming and we all know they are coming and that we have to face at some point. But many of us live in that kind of denial of and horror provides a really strong outlet to be able to look at those things in that way. Abominable is one of the, the, the more interesting sections to me in thinking about that I don't normally think about in my own just horror imagination. Abominable being things that we know this is categorically evil, wicked, wrong, things that should not be. We talk about uh, in that section things like cult leaders and serial killers, and you know, we use the term mad scientists, but that definitely goes into things of, of people who are toying with nature and toying, uh, positioning themselves kind of as gods to manipulate the world around them uh, for their own purposes and ends. And, and these things that, you know, abomination is a word that it can sometimes carry some baggage with it, so it gets often avoided. But there are things that are, to our sensibilities, abominable in that sense, uh, in that like we know these are things which are inherently wicked and evil, uh, and, and we have to find a grid to be able to deal with those kind of things. And then the uh, next to last section, but the last section dealing with sort of these horror categories uh, would be the unknowable, as Tyler mentioned earlier, sort of uh, what is beyond the world that we can chart and know and understand now, what's uh, in, in, in realms beyond our capacity of experience to know, heaven, hell, uh, other dimensions, uh, horror explores basically any aspect of things that are beyond our written, understanded comprehension. Uh, and, and so that's it, the, the unstoppable, inevitable, abominable, and unknowable. Thank you for that. Yeah, and I really appreciated the, you know, kind of as you're watching Valley of the Shadow, that, that sort of those, those umbrellas, and it's like, okay, this is the sort of concept we're dealing with here. And, and, it, and it, you know, to your point earlier, Tyler, yes, there are some bleed over and some kind of have tendrils into other categories, but in a general sense, it, it really works. And I, I kind of appreciated the approach there. Um, as we're sort of nearing the end of our time here, I am curious from the three of you, you know, the, the movie's been out since I believe November or did it come out Halloween-ish? Right, yeah, right around Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so it's been out a minute, um, you know, as you've kind of basking in that, uh, however well or not that might be, you know, what is something you feel like, um, it feels kind of dumb and reductive to say what's something you learned here, but that is kind of what I'm interested in here. You know, you, you've, you've done a work that is valuable to those who are open to the things we always talk about here on the show. And so I'm curious as you've mined those depths, is it just, Oh, it affirmed kind of what I thought anyway, or are there sort of takeaways that you learned from the process itself? You know, whether it's, something as technical as film craft or something as personal as, you know, a, a, a new outlook uh, from having articulated these ideas. So, you know, feel free to jump in, chime in. Um, silly as the question may sound, what's something you learned from the process of 
of crafting, participating in, and then releasing this into the wild? Well, for myself, I will say there there have been a few things. Um, I would I would say that uh, the the concept of structure is something we don't talk much about in regards to documentaries, uh, even ones like this, which are you know heavily narrated, and they do have a structure to them. Um, one thing, like because I I'm I'm very aware of what I consider to be flaws in the in the documentary. Um, and as I watch it, there are things that, that frustrate me. And one of the things that frustrates me is that um, I feel like we don't restate the thesis quite often enough. We mm-hmm. say it a little bit at the top. We get, we get very into our, our rhythm and our flow going from one category to the next. And in the, in the last 20 to 25 minutes, we pick the thread back up and, and go with it. So I'm glad that we do it for as long as we do towards the end, but I do feel like it's something we probably should have restated um, mm-hmm. throughout. And so it's the kind of thing that like, if I were, if this were a, just a straightforward narrative, because I do script consulting on the side and I talk a lot about structure and I talk a lot about like, Hey, if there's something you want people to be thinking about thematically, you need to thread, you need to sort of thread that throughout. You don't want to be super obvious about it, but you need to, you need people to be asking this question, even if they're not fully aware that they are asking it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that when you do address it, more overtly towards the end, uh, it feels like a payoff and the person feels more satisfied. Whereas here, I feel like we probably could have done that more. Um, and so much so that like when it finally does get, you know, cause it's a long film, it's two hours and 20 minutes. So that means that for a solid, like, you know, hour and 55 minutes after the first five, um, it's, it's, an in-depth conversation about horror that, that maybe occasionally incorporates some kind of scripture or something. But for the most part, it's just delving into some of the themes of horror, but not necessarily uh, at least not as thoroughly in retrospect as I think it should have. Um, it doesn't quite uh, return back over and over to the spiritual value of horror. And I think in retrospect, it's because I was worried about repeating myself Mm. Uh, and that people would, that people would say like, yeah, we got it. Let's move on. Um, but I, so I, I think I went too far in the other direction to such an extent that people might think, uh, I didn't get it, you know, or at least mm. y- you're, you're, I, I was, I'm now worried that it, but the, the spiritual value aspect of things might feel shoehorned in at the end. Um, so, uh, I don't mean to be, you know, it, this is I, I'm talking about the writing, and so I don't mean to suggest that this is something that Reed did as well. This is something that I'm very aware of is my issue as a writer uh, in my in my movie reviews, in any kind of essay I've done. This is something that I tend to do is I state something and then reiterate it at the end, and I don't do quite enough of it in the middle. So all that is to say, the thing that I have really learned from this is that even though this is a documentary, it's not a narrative, but it kind of is. We are telling a story of sorts. And as such, the same basic rules apply structurally. And so uh, I don't know if I'm going to, I I don't know if I'm going to do another one of these, but if I do, I think I will have to not necessarily dumb it down, but just recognize that 
especially once you're getting past two hours, you're going to need to just return to a couple touch points here and there um, just to keep the thread going and keep people asking the question that you are hypothetically answering. So, sorry, I know uh, the, crit- the, yeah. the, the critic in me looks at this film and sees that like, it's like, okay, is this just me being over, you know, overly sensitive to my own issues or whatever? Uh, or do I think this probably could objectively be a little bit better? And this is what, and that's the conclusion I came to is objectively, mm. I think the film would be better if it did this very specific thing that I know I, as a writer have a weakness about. <laughs> so you're, so you're going to George Lucas it for us and just kind of tweak it more and more over time. No, it's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, yeah, we're we're Bill. Done. Bill just just cringed hearing. Yeah, that. exactly. Like, really I don't want to say more. <laughs> so, so I have an answer to the question, but I actually want to give Bill an opportunity um, if he's had a chance to think about that that question. Like, did you learn anything through the through the process? And then I, I do I, I do have an answer to the question as well, but I I, I want to yield to Bill first. Yes, I learned not to commit to let your hair grow down to your shoulders for a movie in Mexico that swears they're going to put hair extensions in it that ruins every freaking shoot you do in the interim. And you're worried like, oh my God, what do I do with this hair? And then they push the movie in Mexico to the next year and you got to cut the son of a anyway. <laughs> that's what I, that's what, but, but beyond, beyond that shallow and very vain concern of my own, I, was inspired by what Nathan and Reed did in my own Tyler, little place. Nathan Tyler, Tyler, yes, yeah. yes. Oh, it's yes, Tyler. Tyler. I, yes. Don't, don't, don't take this from me. We, we, <laughs> I'm not um, the one who didn't reiterate his thesis. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah. By by what Reed and Tyler did, I was inspired in my own tiny little podcast I have called Gothic Goodnight, where I do short fiction to. Mm be more open and more free about mixing together the Gothic fiction and elements of faith, like Mm. uh, doing the narration for Valley of the Shadow really freed me up because before I thought, well, people think this is weird. And I was like, I don't care if they don't care. If, if Tyler and Nathan don't care, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I just started like throwing you know, references to uh, scripture and uh, mm. to redemption and to all the themes of the Bible in right alongside Poe and Hawthorne. Um, yeah, and it felt really good because that's what I wanted the podcast to be to start with. And yeah, I'm continuing to do it. So these guys kind of freed me up. That's awesome. <laughs> be you, Bill, with that long flowing hair, you know, like that's oh, right. I don't my, think it looks. Bill, I get it, but you know what? I don't think it looked that bad. I think it looked pretty good, especially with that coat. It just kind of has this. Oh, I don't know. I, agree. I think it was. I think it's a good look, but whatever. So, well, I, a lustrous mane. Exactly. I wholeheartedly yes, agree. No, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> well, my my answer to the question, and 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 perhaps you know my final statement on the, on the subject for our conversation here is, um, I I learned this is going to sound a bit silly, but I learned you're not going to get to everything. And that is a problem that I have in my life. Nathan has known it in our 20 plus years of friendship. My wife, my long suffering wife knows it. I'm not going to get to everything. I'm not going to be able to talk about everything. I'm not going to be able to express all of my thoughts. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to get to everything. And I really had to hone in my God, the volume of 
things that I wanted to exemplify yeah. in these in these categories that we just we couldn't even point to that we, we could not even include a clip or include a name. There's such a vast library of material that still fits into these same kind of thought patterns, and and it was hard to know that like you're just not going to get to everything. Um, but what I hope, and this is a question you didn't ask Nathan, but what I what I hope. And I think probably one of my biggest hopes for anybody who would watch the film, whether they're already like maybe they're entering into this as the choir, the proverbial choir, like for us to preach to the choir. And they are already on board with like, yes, horror has a lot of spiritual value. I'm just curious to hear what these guys have to say about it Um, or whether they are really defensive or skeptical about that. And they don't really know if there's anything to it. And they're, you know, maybe marching into it with arms crossed. What I want, I would say this about the fear of God. I would say this about, uh, you know, more than one lesson. I would say this about anything to which I'm participating in any capacity. I want people to begin to start thinking about what they take in, in a better and broader way. Like just, just start thinking about it. Like there can be plenty of things I referenced in this conversation, stupid Texas chainsaw massacre with blood and viscera and all that other kind of stuff. I think there's there's appropriate Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything uh, and, and a purpose for everything, and I think I just really want people to start thinking about things in different ways and just actually start thinking about them uh, and asking good questions, asking better questions of themselves and 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 better questions of the material that they have, and that's that's one of my biggest hopes for it. Now I'm I'm happy to say that the responses I have heard, both from people who saw it. And from the reviews that I very trepidatiously Google online, something like that, have have been fairly positive. Um, in fact, most people have have responded to those kinds of things in that kind of way. So I've been very very thankful for that, um, and and that's my hope for it. And I learned like you're never going to get to anything. So my hope is that knowing you can't get to everything, hopefully give them a path, a pattern to be able to engage whatever they do get to uh, in that in that same spirit. That's yeah, that's me. Well, I feel bad. I feel like I've really under by by talking about what I learned. Don't get me wrong. I'm very proud of the film. All right. <laughs> no, I weird. think I think we do cover quite a bit, and I'm I I think what Bill is doing is great. I think the music that that Amcy did is really wonderful. Uh, I'm very I'm very proud of the movie. Don't get me wrong, but it's just one of those things. That like you know, I've had people, I've had friends say like, "So what do you think?" And I'm like, "I'd probably give it a B, B plus." You know, and be <laughs> like, "Really, not an A?" It's like. Uh, no, no, not an A, but I'd still recommend it, you know? And, uh, and so I don't want, I realize that, you know, uh, I'm not a great salesman of my own stuff um, because I, he's got I, me beat and that's I, hard to do. I try to be uh, as honest as I can. Uh, and it's something that I, I do think people will enjoy uh, whether they're the choir or not. Um, I just know, you know, when you think so much about something and you're really close to it, suddenly you and when it's done, you realize like, oh, here's some things I could have done differently, and it probably would have been better as a result. But as it is, it's still something that I'm I'm pretty proud to to show people. No, absolutely. Well, and in a general sense, we are for sure our own worst critic. And I I I, I heard recently, I can't remember what director or, or filmmaker this was that said this, but um, a, a conversation I was listening to recently in light of a particular film's release, which again has left my memory at this point. But it was the notion that it's a miracle that any movie gets made, given how 
challenging they are to uh, mm-hmm. get out the door as it were. And so I'm just grateful to be in the presence of miracle makers. So, you know, um, <laughs> I received um, that. Yes. Do so. Do so. Th- thankful for you guys. Um, uh, one final button here. Uh, Reed keeps our foggers pretty up to date on his stuff that he has going on, but I'm curious, Tyler and Bill, if y'all, um bill you even referenced your podcast a minute ago which you mentioned on changing as well feel free to note point to that if you want to but in general what what are you working on right now what what what's something we can either engage currently or have something to look forward to down the line well i got uh, four horror movies that i'm doing and maybe two of them will be good i don't know in the next like <laughs> five months um i churn them out <laughs> so but hey man but work. also i'm absolutely obsessed with calling the devil's ass out and i want to do it i want to do it theatrically and so i am creating a new solo stage show uh which is going to be called adversary three faces of satan in scripture and story and i'm going to use all of the references uh to satan in the scriptures of jesus temptation story the garden of eden um, you know, uh, the, the bits from, uh, for be vigilant, be sober for your adversary, walk at the battle, like, but, but then I, and mm. so the, the three story pieces that I picked are Nathaniel Hawthorne short story, young Goodman Brown, mm-hmm. um, Dostoevsky's grand inquisitor bit where he's actually quizzing Jesus and riding him pretty hard about expecting too much of people when he was here and mm. then finishing up with uh, a Robert Louis Stevenson story, uh, called Markheim about wow. the devil giving a guy a chance, uh, a choice, and he makes an unexpected choice. So I want to put all of those together, and I, I want to particularly do it for uh, faith-based audiences. Mm. Although you'll draw a lot of people if you like. A, a preacher told me once, you know, if you put hell on the sign outside, you fill the church. Yeah, quarter seats full. But uh, so I know it'll draw more people in. But I have a heart for uh, particularly faith-based audiences who have not really wrestled in a while with who the Bible says Satan is, mm. the nature mm. of the adversary, because he's been, you know, turned into such a cliche, Devil and Daniel Webster, and he's a mm. trickster, yeah. and, you know, he, he becomes kind of cute almost. Mm. Um, that's not who the Bible says Satan is, and so... I want to only covered by the blood of Jesus and only in the shadow of the cross, only standing mm-hmm. on, on the ground of that atonement with that shield. I want to do my part to call him out in mm-hmm. the words of scripture and in some selected fiction. So that's a stage show that I'm creating. And um, yeah, I hope it works. That's that awesome. sounds I mean, so good. <laughs> I know. I, 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 what like, I don't want to plug anything after that. I don't have anything. <laughs> I don't have anything worth talking about. I'm just like, please get me in the please keep me in the loop about where you're going to be yes, performing, absolutely. so that if I'm that remotely, marvelous. although it is funny when you there. reference the diminished ver- uh, diminished representations of Satan, all I pictured was John Lovitz in a red sure. red devil <laughs> costume from Saturday Night Live. Oh, oh totally. Years ago. Yeah, yeah. No, Bill, that sounds incredible. Uh, so, yeah. Tyler, what you got going on? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing of note. Um, 
I mean, you can you can always check me out over at uh, Battleship Pretension. We just recorded um, episode 780. So if you divide that wow. by 52, you get uh, 15. So we've hit mm-hmm. 15 years of podcasting, which is wow. very exciting. That is uh, exciting. And then uh, I do occasionally do episodes of more than one lesson when I have the time, which unfortunately is not very often. Um, and uh, over Battleship Pretension, you can check out a book that we put out last year, the 101 Best Movies of the 2010s, uh, which I contributed to. And uh, we are at the moment only shipping in the United States, but we're working on it. Um, and I think uh, I think that's it. I, you know what? I, I will say I want to give a shout out to Rediscover Television, which is the, the streaming platform that funded valley of the shadow and that's where it's available you can get it on vimeo on demand but you can also watch it if you're a subscriber to rediscover television uh and my other documentary real redemption the rise of christian cinema is also available uh on rediscover so um as is a movie review show that i'm doing for them i'm doing a lot with them these days Um, good man but uh but yeah so uh you can find that at rediscovertelevision.com and since tyler won't do it uh, at least in full, I will say, uh, objectively speaking, Real Redemption is a great film. And if you are at all interested in that subject, I really appreciated it and loved it. And so, yes, I'm not just saying that because of my relationship with Tyler. I genuinely uh, found it engaging and found it very insightful. And uh, so Real Redemption is a fascinating film. So, yes, absolutely. And it's a solid hour shorter than Valley of Shadow. <laughs> it is indeed. It is indeed. Uh, we are such <laughs> windbags, Reed. <laughs> No, I know. I can't stop talking. I can't. That's so funny. Uh, All right. Well, Bill, one, thank you once more for making your presence known on our show. It is always a gift. Um, Tyler, thank you for inaugurating your time here with us in the first real live appearance. Let's do it again sometime soon. Reed, good to see you, buddy. It's good to see Uh, you, Listeners, as you know, talk about inability to repeat a thesis um i i totally blanked at the beginning of all of this and forgot to remind you this is part of 2020 one more time uh films that are horror or about horror that released in 2021 this is mine and reed's last feature in this category we'll get to that in a second next week we are bringing it all home as far as the tv guy posts go and talking about our culminating conversation with midnight mass we will directly be uh discussing episode seven as well as the series as a whole um so check out the rest of midnight mass join us for that conversation next week Uh, and then in two weeks from now is when 2020 one more time formally resolves with ladies night featuring a quiet place part two thank you gentlemen for your time your contributions to the world and to the fear of god um as we say on every episode i'm not used to doing this the fear (laughs) of god is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and in that spirit we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing thank you everyone and we will see you next week Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media, essays, and episode archive merchandise and more. If you love what we do, please consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast. There you'll unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online event access, and so much more. 
We want to issue a special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork, also to our assortment of talented musicians, including Andrew Nelson, The Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes, and also to Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music. Special thanks also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody. <laughs>